W.E. Sankster was a great, great Methodist preacher of a couple generations ago. He was a Methodist preacher in the city of London. He pastored the Great Westminster Central Hall there in London, right across from Westminster Abbey. It's a magnificent church, Methodist Church in London. You can still visit there if you travel to London today. W.E. Sankster was the Methodist preacher there from 1939 to 1955, and perhaps you notice something about those years. 1939, 1955, that means that W.E. Sangster was the pastor there of those people called Methodists there in London during World War II. He was the pastor there in London during the Nazi air raids, the Nazi bombing of London. And there, that great Westminster Central Hall worship space for the Methodists became an air raid shelter for the people of that great city. The basement became an air raid shelter. So for 1,688 nights, Sangster and his congregation ministered to the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of the people there huddled in the air raid shelter. We owe a lot to W.E. Sangster. He was a great Methodist preacher there in his day in London. He retired in 1955 from that great pulpit, and not long after he retired, he was stricken with a terrible illness, and he began to lose the use of his muscles. And eventually, the illness took away his ability to speak. And at the end of his life, the only thing W.E. Sangster could do to communicate was to move a couple of his fingers and he would try to write for the people there gathered around him. And by the time he experienced his last Easter, just a few weeks before he made his transition to the other side, W.E. Sangster could barely even move those two fingers, but he still was able to write something, to write a message for the people around him there on that Easter Sunday. What he wrote was this, he said, how terrible to wake up on Easter and have no voice to shout, He is risen. Far worse, to have a voice and not want to shout. I'm so grateful that we're in this place today. This is very, very different from last year's Easter. I'll, I'll admit to you as a pastor, and this is probably true of all pastors, it's probably true for each one of you, last Holy Week and last Easter was extremely depressing. We did some worship via simply the internet, and while I'm grateful for the use of modern technology to help get the, get the word of the gospel out, it's just not the same thing as to being gathered in worship with our sisters and brothers in Christ. I'm glad that we're here together today in order to shout that He is risen. Sangster died in 1960. Just a few years later, there in London, they, they said goodbye to one of their heroes. They're not far from Westminster Central Hall. In 1965, 
Winston Churchill made his transition in January of that month. His majestic, tremendous funeral service took place at St. Paul's Cathedral there in London. Uh, Parts of it were televised across the nation, but not all of it. The people who had gathered for Winston Churchill's funeral there at St. Paul's Cathedral in London recall that at the end of the service, and this was something Winston Churchill wanted, at the end of the service, there in the dome of that great St. Paul's Cathedral was placed a trumpeter, and that trumpeter at the end of the service, at the end of the funeral for Winston Churchill, began to play taps. And when that trumpeter finished playing taps, again, at the request of Winston Churchill, there was another trumpeter there in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. That other trumpeter began to play reveille. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. Winston Churchill wanted to make sure that the people gathered there for his funeral at St. Paul's Cathedral knew that while taps is appropriate at the end of a military person's life, it's really not the end of someone who has died in Christ. Today we get to read that story again of that particular Sunday morning. Sunday had finally arrived. Those earliest followers of Jesus thought they had said goodbye to Jesus. They had seen Him die a cruel, humiliating death on that Roman cross just on the Friday before. And they quickly got His body off the cross because the Jewish Sabbath was coming and the Romans wanted to be sensitive to the Jewish religious sensitivities. So they took Jesus off the cross. They buried Him in a hasty way there in the tomb of the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. Well, now Sunday has arrived. Sabbath has passed. The seventh day of the week is over. The first day of the week has arrived. And some of the ladies that we saw there at the cross, at the end of Jesus' life, we encounter again, making their way to the tomb. Not many men around Jesus at this point. All of the male disciples of Jesus had abandoned Jesus there in the Garden of Agony. Uh, there at the cross, we only encounter perhaps the, the disciple John, but, but the women were there. The women were faithful. The women were making their way to that tomb to do what they thought was going to be the last great act of love and devotion to Jesus. They were going to finish anointing His body for burial. As they're making their way to that tomb, they sense, they feel, they experience an earthquake. Matthew's Gospel tells us there's an earthquake. And Matthew's Gospel seems to imply that the earthquake occurs because an angel comes down. An angel comes down, an angel rolls aside that great stone that was sealing up that tomb. And it says he sat on the stone and he looked at the women. I have this image in my mind of of that angel looking like the Cheshire cat with a smile on his face. Looking at the women. 
Because he's rolling that stone away, not to let Jesus out. Jesus is already gone from that tomb. Jesus has been gone from that tomb. Jesus passed over during the darkness of the night, passed over from death to life. But the angel is rolling away the stone, not to let Jesus out, but to let those women in. So that they can see that the tomb here is empty. In verse 4, we run across a text that Matthew wants us to hear. And I'm so grateful. It's not one of the most important things about the story on this day, but I find it very comforting. I find it very encouraging. You notice in verse 4, it says that after the earthquake came, the stone was rolled away. The angel came and was sitting on the stone. It says, for fear of him, for fear of the angel, the guards shook and became like dead men. That's first century language for they were so scared they fainted there when they saw the stone rolled away by the angel. So much for the great, great power of Rome. Now Rome had shown its power on Friday. Rome had shown its strength on Friday when it crucified, executed Jesus. But here on this day, it's time for God to show forth His power. And the soldiers, the mighty ones of Rome, they are so afraid they pass out. So at this point, the angel begins speaking to the women. And you heard what the angel said to the women, the angel said in typical angelic fashion, do not be afraid. That's how they always start in the Bible. Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for He has been raised. As He said, come see the place where He lay. Then go quickly. Hear this. Then go quickly and tell His disciples. He has been raised from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you back home to Galilee. And there you will see him. So he's sending word, according to the angel, he's sending word that those disciples are to go ahead back home to Galilee and Jesus will meet them there in Galilee. Again, those same disciples who abandoned Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane those same disciples who had been hiding out of fear that they somehow would be implicated in the crime of Jesus by the Romans. Those same disciples who could not keep watch with Him, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're nowhere to be found at the cross except maybe John. But Jesus, as soon as He comes back, He begins sending word to those disciples that He, Jesus wants to see them again, wants to meet with them, and it's even going to get more tender as the story progresses. Because at this point, after, after the angel speaks, it says that they were filled with fear or awe and great joy, and these women ran to tell the other disciples. But as they're running to tell the other disciples, I notice something here in this Bible in front of me. In the edition of the New Testament that I have, I see red letters. I see words created out of red letters. Because at this point, 
is Jesus who begins to speak. Jesus says first simply greetings. That's a first century version of hello. Just a simple hello. And at that point, the women fell at his feet and worshipped. We'll return to this. They fell at his feet and worshipped. Then Jesus spoke, saying, do not be afraid. He echoes the angel. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Not only is he telling them to make their way back home, because he wants to meet with them back in Galilee, he's calling them his brothers. Do you sense the grace? Do you sense the love? He's calling them brothers because he's going to invite them further into his life to continue to take the good news of the gospel to the whole world. I'm glad that the tomb was empty on this day, and the tomb was empty. Uh, no one ever came forth later and said, yeah, we, we lied. There actually was a corpse in that tomb. No one ever comes forth and says that. But it was not the empty tomb that changed the disciples from people of great fear into people of great faith going forth into the world to change the world. It wasn't the discovery of an empty tomb that declares the gift of Easter. It was the discovery of a living Jesus that made all the difference. There's red letters here. Is Jesus speaking here? You heard a portion of 1 Corinthians 15 read a few moments ago by Pastor Ken in that great, great lengthy chapter about the power of the resurrection. You, you hear Paul saying some really important things. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, this living Jesus during these 40 days between resurrection and ascension appeared, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, appeared to over 500 people. What I hear when I read that in 1 Corinthians 15 from the Apostle Paul is a dare. He's saying, most of these people are still alive. Go find them. Go ask them. Not only will they say we lied about all that we said about the resurrected Jesus, but they met the living Jesus during that 40-day period. Paul says 500. Go find them. They're still alive. And then Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. Our faith is in vain. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then we of all people are the most to be pitied. Richard Hayes is a great, great New Testament scholar and until recently was dean of Duke Divinity School. In his, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, he says this, if, if the resurrection did not happen, Christian preaching becomes a system of delusions offering nothing but lies. It wasn't just an empty tomb that transformed 
these frightened people into the early church. It wasn't just an empty tomb that gave birth to a movement that's made it all the way to High Point, North Carolina, and your presence here today is a proof for the reality of the resurrection. The presence of the church in the world today, the largest religion in the world, is evidence that the grave did not, could not hold him. And during that period of 40 days, they experienced a living Jesus. You know, I don't tend to make a habit out of contradicting angels, but I'm going to contradict this angel. You notice here in the text, this angel, when the angel is announcing the resurrection to the women, this angel says, I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he, and here's where I want to contradict the angel, he has been raised from the dead. And then the angel goes on to say that he has been raised, as he said, he's been raised from the dead, he has been raised from the dead. I want you to notice that in Christian tradition, and you'll hear us do it in a few moments when we gather around this table, in the Christian tradition we never say, Jesus was raised from the dead. We don't say Jesus has been raised from the dead. When, when we proclaim our faith in a few moments around this table, we will declare, as the church has been declaring for almost 2,000 years, Christ is raised. Present tense, Christ is raised. Because we have experienced, we are experiencing the present reality, the Easter reality. And that's why it's all present tense for us. Christ is raised. Friends, I, I hope it doesn't come as a surprise to you, but I deeply and desperately believe that it was probably during April of the, of the year 33 when that dead man got up and walked there outside of Jerusalem. I believe that with all that I am. I've given my life to this movement because I believe that. He got up and he walked. But you need to understand, this Jesus was not simply resuscitated. We've seen people throughout history be resuscitated. Jesus was not simply resuscitated. Just a few days prior, Lazarus had been resuscitated there in Bethany. The widow of Nain's daughter was resuscitated. Jairus' daughter in the Gospels resuscitated. Jesus was not simply resuscitated. He was raised to a new life. Those others were resuscitated to yet die again. But this Jesus was raised to new life. He is risen. He was raised to new life. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is living today, ruling and reigning in the universe. He has been raised to newness of life. He has been raised to exist as part of the Godhead, extending God's rule and reign in the world. So yeah, he was not simply re resuscitated. Had he simply been resuscitated to die again on another day, we would never be here this morning. But Paul makes it very clear. He was raised to a new existence. And we too, 
who have died with Christ in baptism are in the process of ongoingly being raised to a new level of existence. I hope that you believe this central truth of the Christian faith. I hope that this central truth of the Christian faith is the controlling reality in your life, is the organizing principle in your life, is the animating principle in your life, the energizing principle in your life. I hope that you've learned to receive this gift of new life from the resurrected one and that you're living on a new plane, a new level of existence. It was in the 1980s that I remember Ted Koppel airing an interview with Bishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa. In the 1980s, that terrible system of apartheid was still enforcing segregation in South Africa. And it did not look like it was going away anytime soon. And Ted Koppel asked Bishop Desmond Tutu if he thought there was any hope for change in South Africa, in that system of apartheid. And many of us will always remember what Desmond Tutu said to Ted Koppel in that interview. He said, of course it is hopeless from a human point of view, but we, we believe in the resurrection. And so we are prisoners of hope. I hope that you're a prisoner of hope today in the Christian faith. Hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is a firm, vibrant, strong confidence in the character and in the promises of God. And it's that hope that enables us to always live above the circumstances of life and never live simply under the circumstances. I pray that you know this reality today. I pray that this reality is, is living in you in this world today.